Well, again, good morning to everybody. Thanks for being here. As always, it's great to be with you. Uh, Ellie and Jean and the crew, thank you for opening up the heavens for us there for a minute. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for choosing to uh, spend some time with us this morning. I hope that you will choose to spend some time with us tonight. I mean, if belt buckles and barbecue and a bootstrap in good time don't do it for you, I mean, I just don't know what will do it. Okay, so come tonight. We're going to have an awesome time together, our seventh annual hoedown. Really looking forward to that. Also looking forward to our worship time next Wednesday night together. You know, on a Sunday morning, we have to pack in so many different things together uh, as we spend this hour, hour and 15 minutes. And from worship to, uh, to some announcement stuff, to the word, uh, sometimes you just want a little bit of more, don't you? A little bit more of everything. Uh, a little bit of more is what I said, but you know, whatever. Uh, but we want to offer that to you, a space where there's kind of an uninterrupted worship time. We can come together, not worry about a bunch of other things, but just come and sing, listen to some powerful testimonies, partake of communion together. So next Wednesday, join us for that, 7 o'clock. Uh, we're looking forward to having kind of an extra worship time together. I think it'll really strengthen our spirits, strengthen our church. So looking forward to that. Uh, let me pray for us as we dive into and continue our series, uh, Desire. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this time this morning. Uh, time that you kind of have carved out and prepared for us, a time where we can rest a little bit, a time hopefully where we can be reminded of what's important, God, a time where we can reflect on what is true, what is real, what is right, what is best. Help all of that to happen in this time and, and even more, Father. Uh, speak to each one of us through your spirit. Would you blow through this place? Would you infuse us with your truth, with your word, with your power? Uh, we ask you to join us and that we might be different as a result. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, help me finish the following sentence, if you would. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? I'm not sure if it's good or bad that you were so ready and able to do that. But now it could be argued that this particular phrase, it's so popular to us, uh, so well known because of Disney, right? And the famous movie that it was a part of. But I would argue this phrase is, is so familiar to us, so popular, so well-known, because it actually speaks to a desire that burns deep in the human heart. Let me share a couple of statistics with you that I think might prove my point. In 2007, the U.S. spent $40 billion, that's a B, billion, on cosmetic products. And there are $12 billion on cosmetic surgeries. Now, let me break this down for you just a little bit. Here's another slide that kind of shows. It's a little small, I apologize. But this is, this is what we spend our money on. We spend about $5 billion a year on fragrances. Some of you need to spend a little bit more, probably, <laughs> on those. Uh, $7 billion on makeup. Nothing to say there. $8 billion on skin care. $9 billion on hair care. And $11 billion on toiletries. Now, as a bald guy, the hair one really cracks me up. I mean, some people pay to make the hair blonde, while others pay to cover up the blonde. Uh, some people pay to style their hair, while others pay to make it look like they don't have a style in their hair. Some pay to cut their hair or remove their hair, while others pay to extend the hair or grow the hair. It's a lot of money being spent on hair, but not mine, but not mine. <laughs> Let me show you another stat. Americans come in ninth in terms of annual per capita cosmetic spending. It's nice to know that those in the Netherlands and France and Sweden are a little bit more vain than we are, but we're still up there. Now, I show you this slide because I want you to see the very bottom. Number 10 is China. 
The U.S. spends on average about $202 a year on cosmetic products. But number 10, China, only spends $9 a year. So those top nine countries are blowing a lot of cash to look a certain way. And whether you're in China or the Netherlands, it doesn't matter where you are, people around the world every single day are spending millions of dollars on everything from tangle teaser to tanning beds, tummy tucks, Tory Burch, treatments or tweezers. Those are just the T words I could think of when it came to cosmetics. Every single day and sometimes multiple times a day, people stare into one of these and they truly ask themselves, am I fair? Am I the fairest? Am I fair at all? Does anybody even see me? Does anybody even notice me? Think about this. Now, why is there this obsession, this fixation on all of these things? Why are we so uh, overwhelmed and inundated with anything that can be slapped on, smeared in, injected, digested, enlarged, or enhanced? Why do we gravitate towards all that stuff? It's a desire. It's a desire that's in your heart, a core desire that you have actually been created with. It's your desire for beauty. The human heart, we've been talking about all summer long, is a ceaseless factory of desires. You have been made to hunger and crave for certain things, and you'd be a fool to try to suppress those things or turn away from those things. It's, it's in your DNA. It's how you've been made. And in addition to our desire for power or love or intimacy, we are all driven at one level or another by a desire for beauty, for our desire to be called the fairest of them all. Now, this desire has two sides to it. The first is, it's the desire to be beautiful. We want to be considered handsome, cool, attractive, sexy, stunning. Put whatever other word you want in there. But we want to be that. But more than just that, we want to be connected to those things. We want to be with and associated with things that are beautiful. We want to touch and taste and be a part of true beauty. So every dollar spent, every magazine read, every gym membership signed up for and then forgotten about, every diet started, all of those things, they attest to the reality and the enormity of this one desire. $40 billion a year, $202 for every person. We all want to be beautiful and we all despise the thought of being considered or called ugly, don't we? Reminds me of the story of a ad that appeared in a country newspaper one day and the ad read like this farmer wants to marry woman 35 years or older with tractor please send picture of tractor <laughs> see we're all drawn to beautiful things just a matter of what those things are for you uh, maybe it's the beauty of the moon over the water at Pepperdine, the beauty of a woman's body, the beauty of the dimples of my daughter's cheeks, the beauty of a perfectly struck golf ball that goes exactly where I intended for it to go. Maybe it's the beauty of a new tractor. But it's the beauty of something. It's this breathtaking beauty that we all want to behold. And maybe, just maybe, that someone will actually see and behold in us. Do you know this desire? Have you felt the pull, the tug? of this desire to want to be the fairest of them all. Now, some of those statistics I share with you, they seem kind of outrageous, but our obsession makes perfect sense if you think about it. Think about the image in whom we have been created. Think about the God whose image we're supposed to bear. Look at these passages. We read throughout the entire scripture, but especially in Zechariah 9:17, for how great is God's goodness, how great is his beauty. Psalm 90, 17, let the beauty of the Lord, our God, be upon us. 
And let that beauty establish the work of our hands for us. Throughout scripture, some people refer to God as the beautiful one. When they're talking about the throne of God, they call it the seat of beauty. And when biblical authors, when they got a glimpse of the heavenly realm, when they got to see just a part of God, they, they struggled to describe the beauty that they were witnessing. Maybe something similar has happened to you. Maybe you saw something that was so incredible, so unique, so beautiful, you struggled to find words to describe it. Maybe it was the Swiss Alps. Maybe it was the, the green fields in Scotland. Maybe the brand new baby girl. Maybe even just the joy of an orphan in a third world country. But something was so beautiful, so breathtaking, you didn't know how to say it. It was like, well, it was kind of like this, but it was also a lot like this. And then you throw in a little bit of this, and that still doesn't describe it. That's how Isaiah, Ezekiel, and John, that's how they all felt when they saw the beauty of God. It was kind of like this, but oh, it was so much like this, and it was even more than that, and you throw in a little bit of this, and I'm still not even getting close. See, God's beauty is so intense, so enthralling, so incredible, you can hardly even describe it. There's a breathtakingly beautiful God who exists in the heavenly realms, and guess what? That breathtakingly beautiful God made you. You bear his image. You've been created to be like him in that way. You're not shallow, you're not vain if you want to be beautiful, you're human. You're of God if you want to be beautiful. And I actually think that maybe more than all the other desires, our desire for beauty and our fear of feeling ugly, I think it proves God's very existence. It's almost an apologetic in a way. I mean, think about this, the concept of beauty, it breaks down if there's no standard, no source, no starting point. If everything in the galaxy is just an accident, if we're all part of this evolutionary process that just does what it does, if there's no rhyme, no reason to anything in the world, then you really can't use the term beauty. You couldn't call anything beautiful or anything ugly. I mean, what makes one thing more than the other? And if there's no determining factor, if there's nothing that dictates what beautiful is, then I can call something beautiful that, that you call ugly, and you could call it beautiful, or I could call it, you know how, what I'm getting at there. We could say, Ellie's voice is beautiful, and somebody could say, no, it's not, it's ugly. Be like, you're a fool. You're just a fool, right? John Piper doesn't use Ellie as an example, but he uses the Grand Canyon. Let's say you're standing with a group of friends at the Grand Canyon. Everyone is absolutely amazed and blown away by the beauty of that place. Who's witnessed the beauty firsthand at the Grand Canyon? Pretty incredible. A few of you, you got to get out. All right, you got to get out. Let's say you're standing there, though, a group of friends, and all of a sudden, that guy in your group. It's like the guy you didn't want to bring on the trip anyway, but he's there. And all of a sudden, that guy says something like this. It's nothing special. It's just a giant hole in the ground. It's just a bunch of particles that have accidentally fallen into place. I mean, what's the big deal anyway? The big deal is that you don't think this is a big deal. This is a really big deal. And we all know that those comments say more about that person than they do about the Grand Canyon, right? Because that place is beautiful whether you call it that or not. That place is beautiful whether you say it or not. That place is beautiful whether you affirm it or not. And that's true of all of beauty because beauty exists and it defined and is defined outside of us. Beauty is rooted and grounded in something so much bigger than us. Beauty is determined by someone other than us and that person is God. He is all that is beautiful and anything that looks like him, that comes from him is beautiful. And we can use that word because he exists. If he doesn't exist, it just is. It's just particles. It's just accident. It's just 
evolution doing its thing. Don't call it beautiful. Don't call it ugly. Don't call it anything. But doesn't that seem like, doesn't it seem so empty? Doesn't that seem so ridiculous? No, you call certain things beautiful because there is a God who is beautiful and makes other things beautiful. He's the foundation of all that it's beautiful. And so we can use that word and make that claim because beauty is not arbitrary. Beauty is not subjective. Beauty is not random. Beauty is based in God. But most people miss that, don't they? Most people in the world think that beauty starts and ends with us. That that beauty is something that we define. Beauty is something that we produce, something that we create. They believe that we are the source of beauty. We are the epitome of beauty. And we can satisfy our craving if we could just get enough products or, or go through enough procedures. I mean, $202, come on. I should be able to get beautiful, right? I should be able to become beautiful. But I have two questions to show the idiocy, I think, of that ideology. The first is this. What gives certain people the right to define beauty for the rest of us? What gives a handful of people the right to tell everybody else what is beautiful? Let me show you a picture of a few people. You might know some of these folks. You might not. The woman there on the top left is uh, Joanna Coles. She's the editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan Magazine, number one selling magazine for years on end that deals with women's issues, beauty, sex, kind of everything in between. That's Dylan Jones there on the bottom. He's the editor of GQ Magazine, kind of the guy equivalent of Cosmo. And then that little group of folks right there, those are the judges for the 2015 Miss America pageant that just happened recently. And these people are more or less the experts on all things beauty. But I kind of want to revert back to my snotty preteen days and I want to ask, who made you the boss of me? <laughs> right? I mean, who made you the king of the universe? In all honesty, in all seriousness, what gives those eight or nine people the right to define beauty for every other person? Why are they the ultimate authority on this topic? I mean, chiefs in ancient Africa used to define a beautiful woman as the plumpest woman there is. In fact, if she couldn't sit on her camel, she was deemed the most beautiful because she wasn't going to pass away the next day. She was healthy. She was strong. She had lots of food available. That was beautiful. We went to Thailand and spent some time on the mission field there, and I went out to dinner one night with some guys, and I was like, all right, tell me what woman in this bar, is, in this restaurant, is the, uh, is the most beautiful? And, uh, and they said, oh, let me look, let me look. They picked out a woman that looked like a ghost. Her skin was as pale white as you could get. We flew home a few days later to Southern California, and some young guys were looking for the tannest skin on the beach, and that's what they deemed the most beautiful. So the African guys deemed it this way, the Thai guys deemed it this way, the SoCal guys deemed it this way, Dylan Jones deems it this way. Who gives anyone the right to define it for everybody else? I mean, come on, if it's that arbitrary, hear ye, hear ye. Six foot balding white men with chicken legs are now the standard and epitome of all that is beautiful. This is it. This is it. Brad, you're a little taller, but you got the bald thing down now, my friend. So you're beautiful. You're beautiful, buddy. But I mean, come on. Who, who gets to define it for everybody else? That's crazy. A handful of people can't determine what beauty is. They don't have the right. They're not the source of it. They didn't create it. They don't have a complete understanding of it. But more than that, more than just defining it for us, that handful of people, they typically mess it up. They typically portray these unrealistic definitions. They actually deceive us as they're defining it. And their deception is destroying us. Maybe you saw the Dove commercials that came out a few years ago. 
But these commercials kind of opened the world's eyes to what was really happening behind the mirror, if you would. Check out one of these commercials. our perception of beauty is distorted because a handful of people have defined it that way. And that didn't even look like the woman that started. Guess why? It wasn't. That, that's a hard um, type of beauty to, to me. It's a, it's a hard type of beauty to become because it's not real. And yet that's the definition. A guy behind a computer screen has defined for us what beauty is. So every day we look into this, we try to look like that. That's impossible because that's not even real. So what gave a certain number of people, this special group of people, the ultimate authority? That's the first question I ask when it comes to this topic. But the second question I ask is, how's all this working out for us? How's our current $202 every year working out for us? How are all the products and procedures and pampering, how that's working out for us? How do we feel late at night when we're by ourselves in the room? How do we feel early in the morning when we wake up and have to look into this? How are we feeling about ourselves? If all of those aids and all of those enhancements and all those magazines and all those procedures and that definition, if that's it, if that's where I find satisfaction, well then, then why are so many girls, especially young girls, so depressed, so dejected when it comes to their physical appearance? Why do so many girls cut themselves, hurt themselves, starve themselves, tear themselves apart over body image issues? I mean, if, if we can define beauty, and if we've already defined it, and if $202 could, could achieve it, then, then don't you think we'd be a little happier? If we're so good at creating beauty, then why are so many guys so insecure? Why are so many dudes so embarrassed by their appearance? Why do they hide behind the weight bench or the designer clothes or the muscles and try to convince others or maybe themselves that they're attractive, that they're desirable? If we could define beauty, if we can create beauty, if we're the source of all beauty, if $202 could result in something beautiful, then don't you think we would have already? Don't you think it would have already? We have more means of making ourselves look and feel beautiful than any other generation in all history, and yet it seems like we feel and consider ourselves to be the most ugly generation in all of history. And it all boils down to one simple truth. You see, beauty is not something that you manufacture. It's something that you mirror. Beauty is not something that you manufacture. It's something that you mirror. I want you to take a good hard look at that screen for a second. A, because it took me 25 minutes to create it. I, I wasn't sure how to do that in PowerPoint. It's like, I know it's there. But more than that, it's a deep biblical truth, one that might transform your world. Beauty is not something that you manufacture, it's something that you mirror. Think about the moon with me for a minute. By itself, the moon is more or less just a giant rock caught in the gravitational pull of the earth. There's nothing all that special about it, nothing all that unique about it, nothing all that captivating about it. But haven't we all kind of been stopped dead in our tracks by the beauty of the moon at one point or another? Maybe it was that tiny sliver one night or the fullness of it out in the forest, we have all been amazed by the beauty of the moon. But its beauty 
ultimately comes from its ability to reflect the beauty of something else. It comes from its ability to reflect the light of the sun. When the moon is at its best, it's simply taking the beauty and the light of the sun, something that is more beautiful and more powerful than it is, and it is reflecting it back to us. And the moon is more or less forgotten about, let's call it ugly, when it's positioned too far behind the world. When the world is covering it up and blocking its ability to reflect and mirror the beauty of the sun. And I wonder if God didn't say, I made you with desires and I made you to desire beauty. I know you want this. Uh, I'm going to put the moon in the sky every single night to remind you where it comes from. Beauty is not about manufacturing. It's about mirroring. See, could it be that beauty, true beauty, breathtaking beauty, it's not a matter of buying or applying or enhancing or enlarging. It's a matter of reflecting, reflecting the beauty of the sun, our God. Could it be that beauty, true beauty, our beauty, breathtaking beauty, it's not a matter of smearing or rubbing or manufacturing. It's a matter of mirroring, mirroring the beauty of God. And could it be that we become ugly when we allow the world to cover us up, when we allow all that stuff, when we take our $202 and we cover ourselves up so much that the world can't see the sun in us anymore? Oh, it's about a mirror. But it's not really a mirror like this. I think probably more like a mirror like this, right? We got to reflect what is up there. And that's what will make us beautiful. It's not mirror, mirror on the wall. It's God help me to mirror mirror you to the world. That's our challenge, isn't it? As believers, we have to move away from this fickle, fake, invisible, moving target. That's the world's definition. Like, what's beautiful? Oh, that is, no, oh, what's, what's beautiful? I don't know. We've got to move away from that, and we have to move to the source, the foundation of beautiful. We have to move to God. He's the source, and he's our satisfaction. And I know it's easier. It's easier to smear, to rub, to apply, to buy. It's easier to do that. Take your $200 and just try to go be beautiful. It's easier to do that because I want to challenge you. I want you to mirror his beauty and not try to be beautiful on your own. So let me suggest two things as we close this morning that I think will help in this endeavor. First is I want to challenge you to start asking God to impart his beauty onto you instead of trying everything on your own to increase your beauty. Again, I want you to start asking God to impart his beauty onto you. And stop thinking that it's all about you finding it or making it or manufacturing it somewhere else. Because you see, right now, there is a breathtakingly beautiful God. If I could pull back this auditorium, pull back the clouds, pull back the heavenly realm, you would be in awe of what you see. And guess what? That beauty, it ain't computer generated. Nobody enhanced that or touched that up at all. That is the realest of the real. And again, you've been made to be like that. You've been made to have that. You've been made to resemble and mirror that. So, so it's not shallow to want that, but you have to stop looking to shallow things to get that. Does that make sense? It's not shallow to want to be beautiful. It's what it means to be made in the image of God. It's just foolish to look to shallow things to try to achieve it. You've got to look to God. You've got to ask him. Guys, gals, old, young, we've got to look to God and say, you have the beauty. You're the epitome of beauty. Right now, you're the beautiful one. Would you impart onto me some of that beauty? And one of the most amazing things about our God is he wants to do that. That's a desire of his, is to transfer and share that beauty with us. Look at Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is on me, the prophet says. And then Jesus reiterates these words later on in his own ministry, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. And then as the sermon ends, he says, and to give them beauty 
for ashes. This is what God wants to do for us. Ashes are good for nothing, aren't they? I mean, you get a pile of ashes, you're like, what do I do with this? They're a mess, they're a nuisance. You just kind of throw them out, you forget about them. And if we're honest, our hearts and our souls kind of look like that because we've taken our $202 and we've purchased everything we wanted. Our passions have burned on all these other things and it's, it's left us with that, a pile of ashes. We've burned everything up. And, and, and when you see that pile of ashes in your heart, when you feel like that's who you are, you feel ugly, you feel unworthy. No one's gonna call you beautiful. No one's gonna call you desirable anymore. Wrong, God will. God continues to see the beauty that is in you. He is always captivated by you. He made you to be beautiful. And even when you burn it all up, when you mess it all up, he wants to transfer his beauty back to you. That's the beautiful thing about the gospel is that the beauty that God possesses, he wants to give to you. The gospel is not only about being saved or justified. It's about being beautified. That's a word. I looked it up. You can become beautiful through the cross. You can become breathtakingly beautiful because of Jesus. It's not that we conform to some external criteria that makes us beautiful. It's not that we have the slimmest body or the prettiest face. Those are temporal things. They won't satisfy us because they're not real and they won't last. And even though the mirror might tell you you look good today, you'll probably feel worse tomorrow. Or someone else will come around looking better than you. You'll never be satisfied with the world's definition. Beauty boils down to receiving and reflecting the beauty of God. That's it. In knowing that you've been made perfectly, fearfully, wonderfully, and even after you mess it up, God wants to impart the beauty back to you. I mean, why, why look to Maybelline when you can look to your maker? Why look to L'Oreal when you can look to the lover of your soul? Why look to the cover girl when the creator's already promised this beauty to you? And I had some fun with that, and I could go on and on. Why look to all that stuff when he says, listen, I'm the epitome, I'm the essence, I'm the source, I'm the definition. Come to me if you want to be beautiful. I'll give it to you. And it doesn't cost us $202 either. See, it's not about products. It's not about procedures. It's about his presence. Just ask Moses. Moses spent some time in the beauty of the Lord, in front of this beautiful God. And what happened to Moses. He was transformed as a result. It says his face literally shone like the sun. Whoa, sun and moon, this is crazy. He reflected the beauty of God after he came off that mountain. And everybody stopped, didn't they? And they said, Moses, you are breathtakingly beautiful. It's because of God's presence that made him that. Not the products that he bought or the procedures that he went through. It was God's presence. And God wants to give you his beauty, a beauty that's been around for all of eternity and that will continue for all of eternity. So I want you to start asking a beautiful God to shape you in a beautiful way. And when you have this first one, when you start to ask God to make you beautiful, to impart his beauty onto you, you better be ready for that to transcend some physical improvements or make some physical enhancements. It's our second takeaway. We'll be done this morning. The second thing I need you to do is start believing that true beauty surpasses that which you can see. True beauty surpasses that which you can see. First Peter 3 says this, don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, beautiful clothes. Funny how 2,000 years ago they were struggling with the same thing. Clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle, a quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful and how we now are called to be beautiful. 
Now, I know that all of you have probably heard at some point, right, somebody say to you, like, it's not on the outside that matters, it's on the inside. And it's like, oh, Grandma, don't, don't tell me that, right? And she probably told you that, like, the night before the big dance after your face broke out in pimples. It's like, I don't care what you say. So we've heard it before, but we've cast it off as being foolish and elementary. That is a deep spiritual truth that could change your life if you wanted it to. Just ask the actors and the actresses who in their older age are trying to preserve this outer beauty. Like, Joan, this ain't working for you, girl. You look horrible. Give it up. I don't care how much time or money you're spending to maintain what you once had. It ain't working. And that shouldn't come as a surprise to us. That's what physical beauty does. That's what external beauty does. It dies off, it diminishes, and eventually it disappears completely. But God said there's another type of beauty. There's another type of beauty that transcends and goes deeper than that which you can see. Another type of beauty that never fades and only grows stronger over time and it will grow for all of eternity. I want that beauty, don't you? I don't want to be like Joan at the end, like, I better, better do whatever it takes to make sure I'm beautiful still, right? I don't want that, man. I want a beauty that never, ever fades. Isaiah 53 is a fascinating passage. It talks about Jesus. Listen to what the prophet says. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in that man's appearance that we should desire him. So think about this. What makes this guy, what makes Jesus so beautiful? What is it about this man that draws so many people to him? Why do I have so many pictures of him hanging in my office? I mean, is it his great beard? Like, is his awesome prayer shawl? Like, his dark skin, his choice outfit? I mean, is his waist-to-hip ratio, his long legs? What is it that makes him so beautiful? What makes him so captivating? Well, Isaiah tells us. Yet it was our weaknesses that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. See, we thought his troubles were a punishment from God. We thought it was a punishment for his own sins. Now he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, we're like sheep, we've gone astray. We've left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. And yet we call Jesus the most beautiful one. Why would we call him that? Why are we enthralled by his beauty? Because this is how God defines beauty. It's not like this. See, see the world defines it in a certain way. It defines it in a certain, certain image. Dan, do we have that slide? See, this beauty right here, this fails miserably in comparison to that beauty right there. This beauty right here, it's okay, but it has nothing when compared to this beauty right here. And if you want to talk about breathtaking beauty, it's not that. It's this. That's beautiful. That is breathtakingly beautiful. See, this is what the Father thinks is stunning. That is what makes Jesus the fairest of them all. It's his radical love for others, his sacrificial service to others, his willingness to get in the dirt of the lives of others. It's his commitment no matter the cost, his obedience to the end, his character, his demeanor, his spirit. That's what makes him so beautiful. Nothing external. It was a never-fading, never-ending beauty within and he'll be beautiful for all of eternity. And if we want to be beautiful, then we have to put down the products and pick up the cross. Because that's what will make us beautiful. 
We have to stop trying to manufacture some fake physical beauty and start mirroring true spiritual beauty. Stop looking in the mirror and start trying to be a mirror. Does that make sense, church? If you want to satisfy your desire for beauty, you're going to have to work a lot harder than spending $202 on some products. You're going to have to pick up a cross of sacrifice and servitude and selflessness. And as you pick up that cross, you will become increasingly beautiful. Think about this with me just for a second. On Jesus' resurrected body, there was a couple of things that were still there that you would have expected to be gone. Thomas saw these things. Other disciples touched these things. It's things that drew people back to God. What were those things? It was the scars on his body. That seems so weird to me. On his resurrected, glorious, eternally beautiful body, there were still these scars. God, if there were ever a moment to, to computer generate something, right? If there were ever a moment to erase something off his body, it was right there. Come on, take them off. And yet there they are, the scars transformed into beauty marks. The things that the world detests transformed into the things that God used to draw the world back to him. See, anything that's of God, from God, and points people back to God, that's a beautiful thing. Anything that is of God, from God, and draws people back to God is a beautiful thing, and you have been designed to be a beautiful thing. This week I got an email from a woman here at our church, and, and she asked me, she didn't even know what we were talking about this week, she said, is there any chance in this desire you could talk about beauty? It's like, oh, just wait. But she sent me this email. These words I've been pondering all week long. She said this. Would you rather hear your husband say, you look good, or have him know she looks to me, she looks to the Lord? Would you rather lose inches around your waist and pounds off the scale or lose your tendency to judge other people? Would you rather have toned arms or have control over your tone of voice when your patience is chipped away? Would you rather have that lean midsection or lean on your father in all circumstances? Would you rather receive a compliment regarding your outer appearance or someone speak to your Christ-like character? Would you rather be able to surrender all your food cravings, especially during PMS, she added, or be able to surrender all your fears to your father? And that's the world that we live in. There is our choice. It's really an either-or when it comes to beauty. You can spend your $202 chasing a fake, fickle, fleeting definition, and you can be destroyed by it. And some of you will continue to go down that road. Or you can choose an everlasting, eternal form of beauty that comes from the Father. And you will find life as you do it. Those are beautiful words from a woman who's trying to be beautiful inside and out. She's received compliments her whole life about her physical beauty. But that woman longs to be complimented on something bigger, something deeper, something better. She wants the compliments to speak to her inner beauty, her godlike beauty. Let me end with Psalm 27.4. Uh, a psalm written by a man who knew beauty. He knew beautiful things. He liked to surround himself with them. He wanted to marry many of them. He wanted himself to be one, King David. And at the end of his life, he wrote this. One thing I've asked for from the Lord that I will look for, that I may live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and that I will look upon the beauty of the Lord, and that I will worship in his holy house. The world desires beauty, and so do you. And we actually have the source of satisfaction to it, and his name is Jesus. 
If you will look upon the beauty of the Lord, I think you'll be satisfied and I think the world will start to find satisfaction as well. Let me pray that would be the case for us. God, this is a hard truth for us to grasp and a hard truth for us to live out, but I pray that you will empower us to do both. God, we want to be beautiful. We want to resemble and be marked by, by, by beauty, God. We want people to think that we are stunning and, and breathtaking and attractive. God, help us to realize that the world is struggling so hard to come to terms with what that means. And their definition changes every day and they keep pushing us to just buy something else or try something else or look like something that doesn't even exist. God, help us to think that is, that is not right. That is not real. That is not the best. Help us to look to you, to Jesus. And to not be overly concerned with the outer physical beauty, God, because we know that is fleeting. We know that will not last. Help us instead to be beautiful like Jesus was beautiful. Beautiful because we sacrifice. Beautiful because we love. Beautiful because we're committed even when there's a cost associated with that commitment. Help us to be beautiful because we mirror your beauty, God. One day we will stand before you and we will be absolutely dumbfounded by how gorgeous you are. And we want to mirror that, that beauty now to the world. And we pray that one day, God, when we see you as beautiful, we will hear you say what you did in Psalms. The king himself, the beautiful one, is enthralled with our beauty. Oh, make it so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Have an amazing afternoon. Hold down tonight, 5 o'clock. Yeehaw. We'll see you then. Don't forget your dollar in the bin on the way out. Be strong and courageous. <laughs>